Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. The goal of this sermon series is to help us understand what a biblical worldview is and why it's so important. Maybe you're there wondering, what is a worldview? Well, it's a great question. Your worldview is the way you see the world. And it includes how you view God, how you view yourself and others. It also includes how you view the past, the present, and the future, It involves how you view your responsibilities when it comes to your finances and your time. It it, uh, includes how you view good and evil. It's not just what we see in the world, but a worldview is about the way we see the world. Here's what you need to know. Everyone has a worldview, but not everyone has a biblical worldview. Everybody has a worldview. You have a, you see things through a certain lens. It might be through politics. It may be through the lens of race. It may be through the lens of the culture you grew up in. It may be through the lens of what you do for a living. Uh, Every one of us have a worldview, a lens that we filter things through, but not everyone has a biblical worldview that filters it through the word of God. And so that's the goal today is to help us understand that we can have a biblical worldview. Although many people claim to be Christians, that doesn't mean that they necessarily automatically have a Christian worldview. In a national survey, 62% of Americans claimed that they are deeply spiritual. However, when asked how spirituality affects their decision-making, 31% said they make moral choices based on what feels right and comfortable. 18% on whatever is best for me. 14% on whatever causes the least conflict with others. And only 16% based it on what God's word says. That is a picture of the state of the church today. That people are literally, they may be here but they're not letting the word of God guide them. What it means is that most Christians have an unbiblical worldview. And you may be a Christian headed for heaven, but you also can have a non-Christian worldview because you've based it on what you've learned from the world instead of what you've learned from the word. And let me just say, One of the reasons it's so important that we be in the word is that we understand what the word says so that we can develop a healthy biblical worldview, right? It'd be foolish to think you would have a biblical worldview, but you never open the Bible. You remember in Matthew 7 and Luke 6, Jesus told the parable about the man who built the two men who built their houses on the rock or the sand Right. And he said, if you build your house upon the rock on the sand, if you build your theology on the sand, if you build your worldview on the sand, it's constantly shifting and changing. But if you will build your worldview on the rock, it's the rock that changes not. Amen. 
In fact, a new study from the Cultural Research Center of Ari- at Arizona Christian University found that only 37% of pastors have a solid biblical worldview. The majority of the pastors in this survey have a root worldview of syncretism. Uh, syncretism is the combining of different and at times opposing religions, think about that, cultures or schools of thought to establish a new way of thinking. In other words, they take a bunch of ideas and a bunch of stuff, they put it all together, and then they go, now this is right. Think about that. They take opposing religious views and combine them and say, now this is good. Once we, we took a little from here, a little from here, Listen, that's not good. You know, it's like making a gumbo. You know how when you make a gumbo? Let's be honest. We all think our gumbo is the best. Right? But it doesn't mean that yours is the best. You can say it's the best. Right? So listen, let me just help you out. If you put tomatoes in your gumbo, it's not the best. (laughs) But you can say it's the best. You can have your own gumbo view. Right? Marty Duracell said, if you use a light roux to make a gumbo, you're not even Cajun. I didn't say it. Marty Duracell said it. Mm-hmm. You don't put sausage in seafood gumbo and you don't put seafood in chicken and sausage gumbo. The world should never meet. And I know, I know this might be my last Sunday here after I say the next thing I'm about to say. And I've enjoyed my time here. But you don't put potato salad in a gumbo. I told you. Let's let's pray. You know why? Well, there's two reasons I don't like potato salad in my gumbo. I don't like the way it looks once it all mixes together. But then the second reason is I don't even eat potato salad. When I was a kid... I would watch my grandma make potato salad and she would lick her thumbs the whole time. And anytime somebody serves potato salad, I just know they've been licking their thumbs and cutting them potatoes and eggs. I'm like, Jesus does not want me to partake in this. But you know how it is? You put all that stuff together and then you say, oh, this is good. And that's okay to throw the gumbo. But when it comes to a biblical worldview, you need to know That good and right has already been established in God's word and anything contrary to God's word is no longer a biblical worldview. When our worldview is contrary to the word of God, it's not only incorrect, it's an unbiblical worldview. So only 37% of evangelical pastors have a biblical worldview. From this study, here's what we saw. At least a third of senior pastors in the United States believe that you can get to heaven by simply being a good person. Can I just tell you, that sounds good. Just do more good than bad. Be a nice person. Help the old ladies across the street. Right, whatever. No offense to any old ladies, but, but it's not biblical. It may sound good, but it's not biblical. I'll tell you more about that later. 
These pastors also said that they believe that moral truth is subjective. In other words, you develop your own truth. I'll develop my truth. And it's good for you. What I think is right is good. Listen, again, truth is established in this book. But we shouldn't be surprised. Jesus told us in Matthew 24, 24, he said, false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Second Timothy chapter four, verses three and four says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves Teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Can I just tell you, there are people who no longer come to a church like this that's preaching the word. They stay home and they find a preacher online or on TV that's tell, that, that is going to tell them what they want to hear. And you can do that. But the Bible says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And then it warns us. You should even heed that greater the closer we get to the return of Christ. And you can always find somebody who will tell you what you want to hear. But let me just tell you, it's not necessarily in this book and it's not necessarily what's good for you and good for me. It matters who you listen to. It matters that you know what you believe and why you believe it according to scripture. So the goal is to help us understand some foundational truths that we find in God's word. So this series is going to be broken down into four scenes. We're calling it four scenes from the Bible that will help us see the world the way God sees the world. Today we're talking about creation. Next week we're going to talk about the fall of man. The third week we're going to talk about the redemption of man, what God did to reach us. And then the third, uh, the fourth week we're going to talk about the new creation or what is to come. So as we begin this series, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning where it all started, to the book of Genesis. You remember the old Blockbuster video? How many of y'all remember Blockbuster? If you wanted to see Back to the Future, you had to go get a VHS tape at Blockbuster, right? And you would watch it. But before you brought it back, for those of you who brought it back, some of you still owe Blockbuster money and they're not even in business anymore. I hope God has mercy on you. So anyway, so what did you have to do before you brought it back? You had to rewind. Remember there was a sticker on this that said, please be kind, rewind. Well, that's what we're going to do today. We're going to rewind and we're going to go all the way back to the beginning. We're going to go back to the book of Genesis to see how it all began. So this is kingdom culture, scene one, creation. The book of Genesis is about the beginning or the origin of all things. Though it was written thousands of years ago, the book of Genesis has tremendous relevance for us today because it addresses timeless questions like where did we come from and why are we here? In Genesis, we'll see what is right, but we'll also see how things went wrong. It's interesting that almost every major scriptural doctrine appears here in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. So let's begin by looking at creation together. Genesis chapter one, verse one says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
In the beginning, God created everything. God created all things. But here's what you need to know, that before the beginning, there was a beginner. And before the creation, there was a creator. Right? At the That beginner and that creator is the almighty God who always has been and always will be. In Psalms chapter 90, when Moses got got ready to talk about God, he said, he is from everlasting to everlasting. He always was and he always will be. Maybe your children have have asked you at some point in time, who created God? Or where does God come from? Well, the answer is, No one created God. He's always been here and he always will be. He existed before the world was created and he will exist forever after this world passes away. There's a lot of things that come and go, but God remains the same. You know, trends come and go, right? You think about some of the trends from times past and They come and go. Some of you are old enough to remember the 80s where we wore Z Cavaricis and Coca-Cola shirts. Y'all remember that? Those were cool. We were so cool. I remember in high school, I graduated in 84, so this is probably about 83. My dad let me have a mullet, which probably means he didn't really love me that much. But he let me have a mullet, right? And I'm telling you, I know what you're thinking. How did you have? I had a lot of hair back then. I had a mullet and man, it looked so cool. And then I remember one night being with some friends, some other guys that had mullets and there were some girls there and the girls convinced us to perm our mullets. And we did. We permed our mullets. And I remember waking up the next morning and walking in the kitchen and my daddy seeing me. He looked at me, he said, I have to make a phone call. And he took the phone, you know, that was hooked to the wall. I just spit on you. I'm so sorry. It's anointed spit. So, um, and he went around, you know, the cord was like 80 feet long and he made a call. And then he came back and he said, we're going to the barbershop in 30 minutes. Be ready. And he cut my mullet off. Listen, in case you're wondering what a mullet is, because first service, a lady looked at her son and said, what's a mullet? You know, you let your hair grow back. You know, it's a it's business in the front, but party in the back. Right. And let me just tell you how, you know, Jesus is about to come back because the mullets are coming back. There's no way God can allow this. But trends come and go. Opinions come and go. Think about your opinions 20 years ago versus today. You grew up and you're like, how did I ever think that? People come and go out of our lives. Politicians and presidents come and go. Our emotions come and go. But God always has been and God always will be. Malachi said he's the God that changes not. He is who he is and he does not change. So Genesis chapter one, verse two says the earth was without form and void. The the darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The idea here is this, that there were molecules and matter, but there was no order or function to the earth. It was chaotic. Actually, when you go back to the original language, the Hebrew, the word there, when it said it was void, the word there, the Hebrew word is tohu, which means to be in a state of chaos. 
But the Spirit of God, the Bible says, even in the state of chaos, was hovering over the face of the waters. And as we're about to see, God brought order to chaos and he brought light to darkness. Verses three through five. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. So on the first day of creation, God turned on the light and he separated that light from darkness. In a sense, when you think about this, it is a picture of our lives when we were once lost in darkness, some of us in a state of chaos, but then all of a sudden we went from darkness to light because that's what God does when we allow him to, right? Our lives were void and dark, but the spirit of God, even before we knew he was at work, was working, hovering over our lives. God was drawing us in. God was moving the pieces of our lives. Some of you went through some serious chaos, but it was that chaos that caused you to surrender your life to God. Listen, God can use anything to get our attention. Right? There are times when people are like, what? Why am I going? If God really loved me, why? The reason sometimes we go through stuff is because God loves us and he knows that sometimes we only surrender through trouble. And now we're people of the light, not people of the darkness. Amen. The, the New Testament equates evil with ignorance or a lack of knowledge with darkness. People that are involved in evil, the Bible says, are in darkness. People who are without the truth are in darkness. But it also equates purity and knowledge with light or illumination. Listen to what John said about Jesus. This is John the Revelator in verses one, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, it says, In the beginning was the Word. Now, when he says Word here, he's speaking of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Listen, Jesus is the light that brought life into your world. And God has brought us out of darkness, the Bible says, into his marvelous light. Just as God separated the light from the darkness, we are called to be separated from the moral darkness of this world. Listen, can I just remind us all that the goal our goal should not be to escape the dark world. No, the goal should be to be the light in this dark world. To be a light on your job. To be a light in your neighborhood. To be a light to your family. Can I just tell you, that's what makes your faith relevant. When you can understand that God pulled you out of darkness, but he allows you to be a light in the midst of the darkness that is around you. You don't operate in darkness. You are the light that shines in darkness. Can I just tell you, there are a lot of churches today that are trying to look like the world to attract the world. 
Can I just tell you, they don't need more of themselves. They need something different than what they already have. And don't try to talk like the world to reach the world. That's not what they need. They need to see something different. They need to see someone shining a light in their dark world. Can I just tell you, listen, people are filled with hopelessness today. And you have the hope of Christ. You just got to let it shine. The only way for the darkness to win is if the light fails to shine and we are that light. Let me say that again. The only way for the darkness to win is if we don't shine the light of Christ to them. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 5. He said, you are the light of the world. He's speaking to us. We are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Right before this, he was talking about how we're the salt of the earth. Listen, we bring taste to a very, very drab world, and we bring light to a very dark world. So, God said he created all things in six days, and then the Bible says, what did he do on the seventh? He rested, exactly. He rested on the seventh day. So here's creation. You ready? Day one, he created light. Day two, the sea and the sky. Day three, the fertile land of the earth. Day four, he created stars and the heavenly bodies. Day five, the creatures of the water and the sky. Day six, living creatures of the land. And after each day, the Bible says that God said it was good. Man, y'all are good. This is a good Sunday school class. Y'all going to get a sticker before you leave today. So God said it was good. But can I just tell you, God wasn't done. God wasn't done because on day six, listen to what he said. Genesis 1, Let us make man in our image. Let me just stop there and say this. God operates within community, within the Trinity. There's God the Father, God the Son, which is Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. That's the Trinity. They operate together. Okay, so he's God. The father is talking to God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit. And he says, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created, created him male and female. He created them. Notice this. Human beings are the only one in creation who are made in the image of God. Nothing else that God created was made in his image, only you and I. What does this mean? When we think about image, we think physical, how we look and uh, how we appear and how we dress and all those things. Listen, that is not what he's talking about when he talks about being made in God's image. Listen to what... Uh, the uh, Old Testament scholar John Walton said, he said this, being made in God's image does not mean that we are physical representations of what God looks like. I know you were thinking God kind of, maybe I kind of resemble God. Let me start over. (laughs) Being made in God's image does not mean that we are physical representations of what God looks like. This is really, really important. Instead, it means that we are God's physical representatives who are like him in certain ways. 
In other words, we are called to represent God to the world around us. We are to be his representation, his representatives to our world. Listen, we have eyes and ears because we are made in the image of God who sees and hears. First Peter chapter three, verse 12 says this, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. We see and hear because God sees and hears and we are made in his image. We have minds that can reason because we are made in the image of a rational God who is more intelligent than our minds can comprehend. We can communicate. We can play instruments. We can enjoy life. We can do a thousand other things because we are made in God's image. We are moral beings who have the capacity to choose right from wrong because we are made in the image of a moral God. We are relational beings because we are made in the image of a relational God. Adam and Eve were not created to be alone. They were created with the capacity for relationship because they were created in the image of God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And can I just remind us today that we are valuable because we were made in the image of God. I don't know how you feel about yourself today, but you need to know from God's perspective, you are valuable because you were made in God's image. Some of you grew up with people telling you that you had no value. They lied to you. It wasn't true. Some of you have lost your value because of abuse or trauma. Listen, that was never what God intended for you. Ever. You have value because you were made in the image of God. Both male and female are valuable because we are made in the image of God. All ethnicities and races are valuable because they are made in the image of God. The unborn are valuable because they are made in the image of God. Democrats, Republicans, and independents are valuable. I know know you're probably thinking, really? Democrats, Republicans, and independents are valuable because they are made in the image of God. Can I just tell you, we can disagree on some things, but still have respect for one another because we're all made in the image of God? And you have value? Our culture is losing this. Our culture has come to a place where if, you, if we don't agree, we can't connect. Listen, we can have differing, differing opinions and still have value and respect for one another. You're not here on accident and you're not here by chance. You are the canvas of the almighty creator. Listen to Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. It says, for we are God's workmanship. One translation says God's masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let me just remind us today that we were created on purpose, with purpose, and for purpose. The problem is, when you don't know what your purpose is, then all of a sudden, things get really blurry. When you don't know what your purpose is, all of a sudden, abusing your, your, yourself becomes inevitable. In other words, if you don't understand why God created you and what he created you for, 
then you just go through life trying to figure it out when God's already shared it with you right here. The Bible says that we were created by God and we were created for God's good pleasure. That's what we were created for. Notice this, when you read through the, the account of uh, creation in the, book, in, the, in the beginning of Genesis, it says that God created, it said God spoke, God made, God separated, God called, but when he created male and female, he says this in Genesis 1:28, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Notice this. It is where the first time in the creation story that God blesses something and it was you and I. It was Adam and Eve. It was mankind. The Bible says that God blessed them. You know what that means? It means that he allowed his favor to rest upon them. And God wants us to walk in favor today. Why? It says he wanted Adam to reproduce and fill the earth and have dominion over the earth. They were called to represent God and to rule for God. God's original purpose was for Adam and Eve to produce life and to rule for God But because sin entered in through Adam and Eve, we see just a couple of chapters over. Instead of reproducing life, we see life being taken. And, And let me just say this. Because of sin, instead of people giving life, many times they're taking life whether that's in physical form, whether that's destroying value with with your words, all those things. Listen, instead of ruling for God like we were created to do, many people have become their own God. Listen, if you've become your own God, let me just remind you, you're too small of a thing to give your life to. So what is Genesis teaching us? Genesis tells us that all of God's creation was good, but not just good. Listen to how Genesis 1 ends, the very last verse. It says, and God saw everything that he made, that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Everything God created was good. Man was good. Being female is good. So I've heard, they tell me. And while we're on that subject, let me just give you, this is just a worldview, okay? A biblical worldview. Genesis 1.27 says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And we see in scripture that God created two genders and only two genders. So God created us good. Marriage is good. The one thing that God said was that it wasn't good for man to be alone. So God created Adam a helpmate. Marriage between a man and a woman is very good. Let me just say to all the single people, I was single until I was 36. I know it's hard to believe, but I remember sitting in church and people talking about God's perfect plan is marriage. And I'd be, you know, thinking, what about me? Listen, God saying you shouldn't be alone doesn't mean you should just automatically get married. You can be single and be connected. He's saying you need to be op- you need to operate within community. 
All right? So all the single people, don't rush to get married because let me just tell you a little secret. There are some of the married people here that want to be single. Anyway, never mind. All right, so (laughs) marriage is good. Intimacy in marriage is good. Children are very good. They're expensive, but they're good. Human life is very good. This was God's original design. This is the way it was in the beginning. God did not create the world in evil. He created the world good. Sin entered in and brought destruction. And let me just tell you, we have an opportunity to choose righteousness or sinfulness. When you choose righteousness, there is a reward, there is a blessing, there is peace and grace there. But when you choose sin, there's always a consequence to sin. Always. This is the worldview. This is the word view that should determine our worldview. The truth is we're profoundly influenced by the worldview of others. Every time we have a conversation, a worldview is being communicated. We are influenced by the worldviews of our parents, friends, advertisements, or news articles. Nothing is fair and balanced because everyone has a worldview. This is why it is absolutely crucial that we base our worldview on God's word, which is the only absolute truth. In Genesis 3, we see Adam and Eve fall into sin and the world fell with them. We are born with the sin of Adam now because of the sin. The Bible says in Romans, because of the sin of one man, we're all born into sin. That's Adam. But then it goes on to say this, but because of the righteousness of one man being Jesus who died on our behalf, we can be righteous. Earlier, I told you about the survey of the pastors. The pastors who said you could go to heaven by being good. Can I just tell you, that may sound good, but that's not in the Bible. It's not scripture. This is what scripture says. John 14, six, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said, it's not about you being good enough. You're not good enough to get to heaven on your own. You've got to say yes to Jesus. John chapter three, Jesus is speaking to a man named Nicodemus. He was a religious leader. And Nicodemus, the Bible said, came to Jesus at night because he didn't want the other religious leaders to know that he was talking to Jesus. And this is what Nicodemus asked Jesus. He said, what must I do to get to heaven? Can I just tell you, in that moment, Jesus could have said anything. Sorry. Jesus could have said anything. He could have said, make sure you're in church every Sunday. He could have said, give money to the church. He could have said, do more good than bad. He could have said anything. But this is what he said in the, in the response to the question, what must I do to get to heaven? He said, you must be born again. What does that mean? 
Well, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 says that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is the Son of God and he was raised from the dead, Romans 10, 13 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's you just simply taking the steering wheel of your life and handing it over to God. To say, God, I've made a mess of things. I, I don't know what I'm doing, but I know you can take control. It's making him Lord and Savior of your life. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. Maybe you're here today and you would say, I am not in a right relationship with God. I need him to come in and be my Lord and my Savior. Listen, let me just remind you. Religion says we got to jump through hoops to get to God. But God says the exact opposite. He says, if you call on his name, you will be saved. You know why? Because he wants relationship with you. And as your heavenly father, he knows it is what is best for you. In just a moment, I'm gonna count to three. And when I do, if you wanna make a commitment to Christ today, I just simply want you to put your hand up where you are and you can put it back down. Are you ready? One, listen, don't worry about who's here, what this person thinks or that person thinks. None of that matters today. The only thing that matters is God is here. God loves you and he wants a relationship with you. The Bible says it. One day, every one of us will stand before God to give an account for our lives. The question today is this, would you be ready if God called for you today? The better question is, do you want to be ready? Because you can you ready? Three, lift your hand all over this room. You want to commit your heart to Christ. You want me to include you in that final prayer. Thank you. 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 You can put your hands back down. I want to just lead you in a prayer. There's no magic in the prayer. The salvation comes from your heart, your commitment to Christ. But I want to help you articulate what's going on in you right now. So I'm going to, I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm asking you to repeat it for me out loud. And I want every believer in this room to pray in support of these. Can we all pray together today? Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin my shame and my guilt and you died for it. I believe that you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth and a relationship with your father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all of my heart, no matter what it costs me. I declare that God is my father, Jesus is my savior, the Holy Spirit is my helper, and heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen.